0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. My guests for this episode are the sister duo team who make up Healing Starts with the Heart, Erica Honore and Sharon Brewbaker. You'll get to meet them right after this. Do you know how bad stress is for you? I mean, truly, it affects your health in so many ways. I'm a student right now at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and I'm learning about stress and reducing my stress. You know how you can reduce your stress? It might be taking some of the load off yourself and maybe hiring people to help you. Molly Maid of Greater Little Rock, wherever you're listening to this right now, mollymade.com can help you. Don't stress the mess, call Molly Maid. Molly Maid has helped me for about 12 years keep my home in working condition. They help me so that I can do all the things I wanna do. I spin a lot of plates, I always have. And the way that that's done, and it helps reduce the stress for me, for my family. My husband loves a clean home. I love it more than he does. My kids know when they come to visit. I have things in order. Those are things that are important to me and reduce my stress. It's because of Molly made Don't stress the mess. call Molly mollymade dot com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher said podcast with your host,
1: Lisa Fisher.
0: Okay, ladies, you are the so-called authorities on grief. You didn't know that was a title, but you have it. But who wants to jump in first? Your sisters, which I love, and it's healingstartswiththeheart.com. And we'll talk more about that. And we'll put everything we talk about in the show notes today. But Erica, you want to jump in first? Tell us, you know, how you got so familiar with the term, with the grief, with grief.
2: Yes, um... Sharon and I talk about this all the time. This is not ever an industry we thought we would find ourselves, uh, fluent in or but wanted to be I mean, no, wanting to be. You don't Absolutely. sign up for it. Right. You know, at first when you start, you know, saying you're, a, you're the grieving authority, people like turn away and want to get away from you. Um, in 2006, my 10 year old son, Austin drowned. And so we came firsthand into brokenhearted and, um, wallowing in in grief for a while we have a very large family so we were no stranger to death however Austin was the first child in -hmm. our family to pass away and sharon is 10 years older than i am so she definitely took the reins on trying to find me help and she um pushed me into a lot of uh, traditional grief support groups that i finally kindly asked her please stop helping me (laughs) because this is not where I want to be. And um, she finally gave me a, uh, told me a little white lie that I didn't find out for years later was a white lie that her church, they had had a program come in from a loss that they had experienced in their congregation. And they had brought in a grief specialist. And she said, you know, my church paid for you to attend. Cause I said, "I'm, I'm good. You go ahead. Enjoy. And she said, no, well, my church paid for it. So I was like, Okay, out of obligation to her church, I showed up. And um, because I didn't think at that point there was ever going to be any help for me. I was a mother who lost a Mm 10-year-old child. This is just my life. I'm gonna be sad forever. And in that experience of a 12-week educational program, at the last day, we experienced, I mean, a life-changing life for the positive the the knife that we had it stabbed in our hearts was removed and the um like peace and calm that we were given she called me the next day and she was kind of scared because she was feeling it and i were feeling it but we didn't talk about it and she said to me she said hey kind of low i think that thing kind of worked and i was like Oh my God. Yes. And she says, we got to tell everyone. So we got, we signed up to become certified grief specialists and we haven't stopped moving. Um, sadly our story doesn't end there because in 2015, after she and I, again, the dynamic duo in grief, go to get recertified. My oldest son, Donovan was killed in a motorcycle accident. So we are now at this point in our life where I feel like we've been struck by lightning twice. My grief was so completely different from when I lost Austin because really? Donovan was my my friend. I was grieving not only oh. another child, but he was two weeks short of his 21st birthday. I had lost a great dear friend of mine that he and I talked <sighs> on the phone every day, text if we didn't get on the phone, like... It was such a different grieving experience, which now it has expanded our knowledge on grief. And that was, that is why we will gladly accept the grief authority title (laughs) because we have really, we don't just preach this stuff.
1: We've lived it. Yeah.
0: Sharon, what about you? Have you walked down the grief path as well?
1: Yes. So we all do. We're all grievers, right? And, but here's the thing. No one wants to talk about it. And so um, I love that she told my age. Thanks, Erica. I just, she's 25 and
2: you're 35. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: I I mean, they can clearly
1: see. Right. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. No, it's always great having a little sister in the room. Anyway, (laughs) um, grief is the most taboo subject, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. So not only we also And you know know why? You know why? We don't want to talk about it because if we talk about it, then we might catch it
0: then something bad might happen and we'll have to deal with it. So we'd rather just go, ah, yeah,
1: you're grieving fine. That's all I want to talk about because I don't don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, so what, because we're all grievers and we're all going to grieve at some point in our life, right? Everyone is, no one is immune to it. No one talks about it. No one tells you how to, to deal with it. But we also know, Eric and I also know that death isn't the only thing we grieve. We grieve death. We grieve divorce. We grieve breakup of romantic relationships. We grieve um, the loss of our fur baby, right? Financial changes, sexual abuse. I mean, I could just keep going on and on. Having someone imprisoned in your life, having a new family member come. So we're none of us are immune to grief, death, or loss, right? <clears throat> and so because of that, yes, besides the boys, I've had many other grieving experiences. And it was absolutely... It was life changing for me to have to tell her that Austin had drowned. But to have to call her and tell her that Donovan had got killed in a motorcycle accident. Wait, you were the bearer of bad tidings both times? Twice? Yes. Yeah. So, I love my brother. He's amazing. He's a police officer LAPD. That's the other thing. Strong, burly guy. He and Erica are, are best friends. He and Erica are very good friends. And he couldn't he couldn't even part his lips wow. to say the word and he says to me, "You have to tell her." We just the thought of telling her again was just overwhelming.
0: Look, it's hard to even hear the story yeah. because I think every parent over empathizes because yes. we wonder how, how she did it the first time, and yeah. then how you. I mean, you walked with her through that, Sharon. Again, oh, the grieving yes. process. If anything happened to my brother's children, it, they're like my children, so yes. I, under, I understand. But then to have to walk through it again, it's something that anyone listening right now had. Take a deep breath and go, Okay, I'm going to continue this conversation. So because if even the macho man on the police, the motorcycle cop, the guy with the handlebar mustache,
1: I'm thinking of the tough guy, (laughs) the chips guy in L.A.
0: He couldn't do it because he loved his sister too
1: much. Yeah, it was just so hurtful. And um, to uh, to 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 expand on that a little bit, each experience was different. We all experienced something different with each one because we each had a different relationship. We, Eric and I also lost our father seven years ago. And even that was different. And you would think as as we sit here today as grief specialists, that we're here to tell you that you can power through it. You do A, B, C, and then D, you're recovered. And that's not true. I watched her break totally in a different way, totally, a a total different experience, Uh, much more resistance, anger. Erica will be able to share more about that. But the anger that came out this time was just so, so profoundly different. Was it repressed from losing the
0: 10-year-old?
2: No, no. It was, was I was, well, I was mad at Donovan because he, he died on a motorcycle, which I told him not to buy. And because he was not mature enough. Right. And that's exactly what he did. He got in a fight with his girlfriend, jumped on the motorcycle, and drove reckless, recklessly, which ended up taking his life. So it was the thing I feared most, that, which I was trying to prevent, that he defied me on, and then that's how he passed. So my anger was because I knew it was going to happen if he bought that motorcycle. So it was just, I was so mad at him for not listening to me, and I just then became mad at the world because my pain was so great that that was the only, I was so fearful of allowing the sadnesses. And I just heard from a a client of mine that um, anger is sad's bodyguard, which resonated so deep with me. So my anger was holding back all the sadness I felt because I felt if I opened that door to the pain, I was gonna drown in it. And I was barely holding on by my fingertips to get through every single day, to still be a wife, to still be a mother, to, I have one young biological son, um, he, he's 18 now, but he was 12 when Donovan passed away. And he is not my husband's biological child. There was a child, we, weren't, we were not together. So my husband buried his two only biological children. And then we had just adopted a niece of ours. So I had promised her this great life. Hey, we could do better for you. And then she came into this world of pain. So it was like, it was all I could do to just get through each day. And the anger was the only thing that kind of fueled me and allowed me to move from one day to the next. A friend
0: once told me after uh, bearing, um, she had many, many children, like 10 children. And when one of hers died, she said, I want to go in that bedroom and just stay and put the covers over my head. But Mm -hmm. she goes, I've got all these faces looking at me every day. Mm -hmm. She goes, the responsibility that goes along with what you're feeling. You want to protect the niece, Mm -hmm. and you have another son. And then I'm sure your marriage, you're
2: thinking uh, if there's anything left over. Yes. I'll I'll see you at 10 o'clock tonight. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like when we would get up in the morning and I would see the pain in his face. It, it was all I could do to just like, we'd have to go to our perspective ends of the house. Like he didn't want to look at me and see the pain in my face that I was mirroring for him. So he would go outside and start doing like tinkle, tinker projects. And I was hmm. inside getting lost. Yeah, and the and the parenting and the and the moving around. And yeah, no, there was, the, the to open that door to really let the grief in, I, it wasn't a possibility because I would have pulled the covers over my head and not gotten out of bed.
0: Now, Sharon, when she went, when Erica went through the 12 week program, the grief program is the term for the day, that last day and that last moment, is that the breakthrough moment that you want all grieving people
1: to experience? I want all, all of them to experience it. I wish I could pack it up in a box and say, here, is grief healing, and I'm gonna give this to you. But because we're individual and we're unique, it doesn't always come that way, right? So sometimes we walk our clients through and they get that experience, they get it. Sometimes it's almost like they just feel this little release of the pressure, but it also depends on what else has gone on in their life and what other grief has gone on in their life. So for example, Erica also lost Donovan. Erica lost Austin. She also lost Donovan. There are other things in our lives that attach to those, right? So even for me, I had lost Donovan. I lost Austin. But then we also lost our dad. So you can think about the accumulation of all those things. Do I want people to have it? Yes. But each person has to walk their own journey and their own path. And it depends on what's in their heart and what's really broken.
0: Depends what's in their heart and what's really broken. So something broken could be something from 20 years ago. And again, oh, yes. you mentioned sexual abuse or yes. you're a victim of a, a crime, a robbery. I mean, anything you, you, the, the term grief, you're right. I was just thinking about it. It's not just death.
1: Mm-mm. So Lisa, what happens is we get told, just give it time. You'll feel better. You just give it time and you will feel better, right? Is that a lie? Okay. Yes. It's a total lie. <laughs> It's a total lie that we it's tell all grievers. And I don't I think a cop out. I don't even know why we say it. But here, how much time? A year? Two years? Five years? I know for a fact. I one of Some of the things that were in my brokenness in my heart, I had gotten bullied in school as a young child. Um, I can remember some of these things. Breaking up with my first love. When you break up with your first love, that stays with you and can stay with you for years to come. How much time do you give it? I literally convinced myself that in two years I would feel better. But there are a lot of times we meet grievers that Eric and I can just touch that one spot and it's like, bam, we found it. And it just floods. It opens the floodgates and it's still there. It doesn't go away if you don't go after it. Okay.
0: So the young 15 uh, year old with blue eyeshadow, whose heart's broken, it wasn't Donny Osmond because Donny Osmond broke no. my heart. So yes. you can't have him, but is it because it was never validated by people around you or you never expressed it that you didn't go through a process
1: because you didn't know, you, no one told you what a broken heart felt like. Be- that, that's exactly it. No one told me what a broken heart felt like. And, you know, unfortunately, I had this beautiful blue eyeshadow, and my parents sit, sit me down around a bowl of spaghetti and say, girl, you just broke up with the love of your life and it's going to hurt and you're going to really feel sad about it. And your heart's going to be broken and we want you to cry it out. And we want you to feel your emotions. No, they didn't do that. Especially my mom had five kids and I had a little ankle biter running behind me. I've, right? I see her, right? <laughs> <laughs> So what happened was I went home, came home every day and I put my head under the covers. Exactly like what your girlfriend said. I covered my head. And then at about a year, a year and a half, I stood up one day and I said, okay, it's time for me to get a new boyfriend. And I went on with my life. But that pain stayed with me. Think about that. That pain doesn't go away. You just put it dormant. Now, the next time I have a loss... What do you think is going to happen? The loss, it's going to start attaching to all the pain that's in there.
0: It just all festers. Pain. Yeah. It just festers. Oh, yeah.
1: It doesn't go away. So there's a lot of times we have grievers that come to us and they're like, oh, my fur baby died. And we start talking about their fur baby and trying to help them. And then in the midst of the conversation, oh, yeah, but also my dad died and I lost my best friend when I was eight years old. And, you know, all this stuff starts coming out. What you're doing, one thing
0: you're doing that's beautiful is you are validating anyone who's lost anything because we tend to categorize, okay, mothers who have buried somebody, well, you're at the front of the line. Yeah. But we forget that someone who lost their beloved pet of 15 years, constant companion yeah. M- misses that dog every day. Yeah. But yeah. we as a society, and that may be Americans because, you know, and I, let's talk about that. Different cultures grieve differently. Absolutely. Yes. You'll see women in the streets in Israel beating their, in the Middle East beating yeah. their chests
1: mm-hmm. because
0: they lost a child. And that's, Erica, you felt that way. Oh, but for sure. We don't make it socially
2: acceptable no. for you to do that. No. And that, and that's the thing. There's definitely no hierarchy of loss. And the one thing we, we we shouldn't do is compare losses. Like, even though I'm a mother who has lost a child, I would never go up to another mother and say, I know exactly how you feel.
0: I don't. Oh, you, there's no way you I you could possibly. You don't even say those. Because, you know, those are the magical words somebody will say is, it, the worst thing they can do is they come over and say, I know how you feel because I, I lost my cat when I was two. And right. You're like, no, because it, it's not your experience. I mean, it's right. just not yeah. the same experience.
2: Yes. So, if we could teach people to stop doing those things, that would be great just from the show alone. But yes, you can't compare losses. Sharon and I lost the same dad, but I don't know how she feels. We had two different relationships with him. My husband and I had different relationships with our kids. I don't know how he feels. So, a broken heart is your own. Grief is unique and individual. And the other thing is, so if I'm speaking to a client that is crying over her fur baby, I absolutely give her the most utmost care because her heart is broken. Pain is pain, doesn't matter what the cause of it is. Okay. Cause I'm just sitting here
0: crying through the whole thing. Do you, do you get to a point where you stop crying when you hear other
2: people's stories? Well, you know, no, I still connect with them because I feel sad for them. And that's the thing, Sharon and I have done so much work to get where we are. Like I could talk, you said 55 minutes for the show. I could give you three hours mm-hmm. and 55 minutes sitting here talking about my boys and not cry a tear because I just have done the work that I need to do to be in the place that I'm at right now. And I just have all the love and, and the um, sweet moments that Sharon and I laugh about when, you know, times when I was beating my head against the wall when they were little, but now they're, they're cute stories, but I could do that because I've done this work. And that's why this program is so amazing because it leaves you with the good and it gets, helps you get rid of the negative so that you don't feel bad when you talk about them. It doesn't break you down.
0: Sharon, how does someone know listening now if they need to do the work? Because a lot of people probably think, I'm fine.
1: <laughs> Everyone makes I totally
0: that. I had the covered casserole dish you brought, and <laughs> yeah. I thank you. I'm good. But
1: and thank you how, for the ham.
0: Right. Thank uh, you for the ham. How do they know <laughs> if
1: they need more? They can feel it in their heart. You can absolutely feel it in your heart. So it's mm. really about quieting down for a minute and literally putting your hand over your heart and thinking about that loss, whatever it may be, because the loss can be intangible, it doesn't have to be an actual person, right? And we can grieve someone, we can grieve our divorce, and we hate that person. We hate him for what he put us So you can or justify or, that. We can justify it. But when we really think about it, if I meet you in 20 years and you're still talking about your divorce and what a terrible guy he was, you're probably in a grieving experience. Mm. If you can't talk about the person at all, it's probably a grieving experience. If you can't look at photos of your loved ones after they're gone, it's probably a grieving experience. If all you want to do is talk about that person, good, bad, sweet, or sour, it's probably a grieving experience. If you never want to bring up his name again, It's probably a grieving experience. And you have to do the work of examining your heart and seeing if it's truly a grieving experience.
0: Erica, since, I mean, we hate to use you as an example, but bearing two (laughs) different sons at certain, were they about 10 years, did you say? 10 years time? Austin was
2: 10, yeah, almost uh, 11 years (laughs) in between
0: the two. Wasn't it, you know, the older we get, 10 and 11 years was the other day, right? <laughs> yeah. Am I yes. right? yeah. So now when you're young, it's it's eternity. <laughs> but, you know, we're, all of us are over 20. So at that point, didn't you feel like you had just buried Austin 10 minutes ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm.
2: And we, and that's what it's like, I, I was so in shock initially because I thought, how, who are we? How are, how are we now, yeah. this family that we have, this story of two losses of young kids? How did we become these people? This does not happen to us. Shh. And it took a long time for me to be able to wrap my brain around that because you just are in such disbelief that, and I felt like, and this is why I, I say this all the time, uh, I think the anger too. I felt like I handled Austin's loss so graciously. Like it was like, okay. These things happen. This is terrible. It's tragic, but I'm going to do the best that I can to pick up the pieces of our lives so we that we can move forward. And because I was like, "But I did that one so good and I was so mm. nice and how, why this one?" And and then I think that that just opened the gates to just me being so angry and so bitter because I felt like I didn't deserve it. I did my time, and now here I've getting I'm getting another sentence to grief prison.
0: Sharon, how did you feel then as a sibling? Because you didn't want to take on the role that she had as a grieving mother. But again, as an aunt who's close to her sister and loves her family members, you know, how did you make sure that your grief around her was appropriate?
1: I let my grief be whatever it is. And that that was with Donovan. Because she and I knew better at that point. So whatever it was, Mm -hmm. I have a, um, because we are 10 years apart, because we've always had sort of a mother-daughter relationship, I always, I did something that we also teach about was I took on the be strong. I felt like I had to be strong for her. And this happened with Austin. While I was constantly being strong for Erica, I was negating my own grief. I wasn't allowing it in because naively, because I didn't know about grief, I literally thought that. Erica and Lewis were going to grieve and it was going to be our job to be strong for them because that's literally what I had seen my parents do time and time again. My parents are the first ones to always show up with the ham and the casserole at your house. That's what they do. And so because I was in this be strong thing, I would make the calls for her. I would find out the details. I called the funeral home. I was doing all of that. And then somewhere along the way, I started to crash a few months later after Austin had died. However, with Donovan... I still did my be strong because that's just my character. That's innate in me. But I would go to her and say, okay, at four o'clock, I'm done. Just so you know, I'm done being strong. And she knew exactly what I was talking Mm -hmm. about. And I'm going to have my first glass of wine and I'm going to sit over there and cry it out and blah, blah, blah. So I would do that sort of thing. I want to circle back to one other thing. And that is, we hear a lot of people in society talk about closure. Oh, when you get closure, when you get closure, I hate that word because it felt to me like I was gonna have to close the door, forget Austin ever existed, and go on and move on with my life. And so Erica and I don't teach closure. We absolutely teach completion. We teach that you walk a journey with every person in your life. Erica walked a journey with Austin from March 2nd when he was born until June uh, 1996 to June 17th, 06. She walked a journey with him. And when he died and was tragically taken from her, that that journey ended right there. But she still had work to do to complete that relationship. And so we talk about completion. So because she was complete with Austin, when Donovan died, none of that brokenness came back like I was sharing with you earlier.
0: So you did a lot of the heavy lifting, Erica, in the mm -hmm. beginning. You didn't even know it. You didn't know God was preparing you.
2: Exactly. For the
0: tied with the worst day of your life. Right.
2: Exactly. And that's the thing too. Like Sharon said earlier, there's so many different ways you can grieve. Going into our recertification right before Donovan died, we have to do a part of this program for ourselves. We have to complete it. And I went in thinking I was going to work on the relationship with my mom because she and I tend to butt heads. She's still living. But I changed at that last minute and I I did my relationship with Donovan because he and I were butting heads over decisions like buying the motorcycle, the girlfriend he was dating, his future career choices. And so I said, well, let let me do this, take this negative energy off of it so that when I talk to him, it doesn't come out so, uh, it's more like, hey, son, let's sit down and map out your next 15 years so that I can approve of everything you're gonna do. Just kidding. So
0: is but no, I, I'm a mother. You
2: don't have to tell me.
0: As part of the grieving process, I heard one woman say that um, her therapist told them because the girl was just mad that her husband died. You know, yeah. she just had anger at him oh, for yeah. dying. How how dare you? Yeah. How dare you leave me? And so that was part of her grief was okay. Sally, talk talk to Bubba and tell him all the things you're mad about. And is that something people just could, I mean, like, what are some practical things people can do at home? And we'll talk about your program and everything else, but yeah. just for a practical point,
1: Sharon, do you have some that people could do at home? I think the first thing they need to do is understand the definition of grief, right? So that's the first thing is understand that this is natural and this is normal for us to grieve. The second most important thing is that the grief happens in our heart. It's not intellectual. It is not in our head. So when people come upon their first major loss or a major loss in their life, they tend to put their hands up. They resist. They don't wanna go that way. Erica was a clear sign of this after Donovan died. She resisted 100%. So we tell people, don't resist. Try to lean into it. Grief sucks. But lean into the suck as much as you can. Cry it out. Talk about it. Use their name. Journal about it. Let other people know. The one thing that we do know about grievers is the number one thing that they want to do is talk. They want to talk about their loss. But just like we talked about, Lisa, who wants to hear that? Erica and I have no friends. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you mean.
2: Okay, good. I'm a I mean, we can call you. But I mean, <laughs>
1: grievers wanna talk, but very quickly society decides how much time they're gonna allow you to grieve, right? Especially for like, let's say, a fur baby. P I would say, I don't know, Erica, what do you think? Two weeks? They're yeah. like you need to be moving on. Get over it. Right. Oh no, no, no. People
0: give you about a week on Facebook and then we're done. Yeah. Yes. Now we want oh, pictures yeah. of, yes. of unicorns
1: and the <laughs> political
0: party that you hate. Because that's all your yeah, that Facebook yeah, is. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, you've gotta so for us, the supporting staff that's around our friend, be the listener, be the heart with ears. Let them talk for as long as they need to talk. They have to hear themselves say it out loud. They have to hear themselves say, I'm really mad at Bobby. I'm so angry that he left me. So they have to do that. That's number one. Number two is they have to admit that they're even grieving. How many people don't even admit they're grieving won't even go down that? Wait, they don't admit it? Even though there are
0: tears every day? Don't they know that that's grief and the heartache? Mm -hmm. They will but use they every other word except for grief.
2: It. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I, I was saying they'll use every other word except for grief. I'm so depressed. Yeah. I'm just oh. in a funk. I'm in a funk. I can't get out of this funk. I feel like I have Again, PTSD. All the all the other oh yeah. things, they're willing to experience those, but they triggers. don't want to call it grief.
0: Even That's what I was saying, our Western society, because you go back in the East, how people are more demonstrative, and it's certain cultures, I mm-hmm. said. Right. But do you remember when Princess Di died, died yeah. that no one in the royal family? Yeah. Y'all, I, we were crying at home. Yes. Because we had permission, but that's part of the royal family culture is, well... You've seen the queen Mm -hmm. grieve her own husband. She did have a tear. And that was the headline news because we had never seen someone from their family shed a tear. And they've seen some heartache.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So that's what I'm saying. Those are cultural norms. And that's what you look to. So we can't think of people maybe that we know that we respect that's been the leader of the free world or, and I'm not pointing to anybody. I'm just pointing to people in general that we need people to show us that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's okay.
1: We need to to be given the permission, right? We need to be given the permission. Mm -hmm. Look at the, look at this. Okay. We give you three days to mourn. Oh, that is so. Three days for uh, bereavement and grieving. I mean, could you imagine. That is criminal. That's criminal. It's completely criminal. It's criminal. I would go to Erica and say, your son died. Now you have three days to get over it. Yeah, I'll see you Monday at work. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. No. Yeah. no, no. What if it was okay for us to sit and cry and it was okay for the person sitting next to them to allow them to break down and cry and just be okay with it? What if I just held her space? What if I was just in the room with Erica and she was crying over Donovan and I just sat there? How much better would she be three days, 10 days from now, just because I allowed her to be there and let her know that it was okay. But that's not what we get. We get, get back to it, get doing it, get back to work. Eric and I had a a client two years ago that lost her husband. Um, And three months after he died, she posted on Facebook, today has been three months. And one of the responses were, was you're not over this yet that that's just an example of the
0: stuff that we hear. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. That's just mm, so insensitive. Mm. (laughs) Completely. Um, One thing I I did a few years ago, I wrote an article. I'm the editor at large of the state's largest lifestyle publication. I I wrote it when I was on the radio because my best friend's husband died. And I called myself a sister wife. Like he was the executor of our wills. If anything happened to my children, they they would raise them. I mean, my kids look like her, her kids look like me, you know, I mean, we're just family, you know, we're the yeah. non-family family. Yeah. 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 And so, um, I was on the radio then and my employer let me even take off sometime. I mean, they just knew that that's, that they came to all of our Christmas. We went to their, I mean, it's just crazy. But I remember writing this article and then getting a lot of attention about it. And I, I had my little, it wasn't that I'd steps for grieving. I had steps. If you were the friend of, if you were a friend, I said, the first thing you never do, and I I, I just need to make sure I was saying this right, never say to somebody, hey, call me if you need anything. Yeah. (laughs) Because I said, my best friend, Christina, was grieving. She didn't know what she needed, y'all. Right. I mean, she didn't even know her shoes were.
2: Yeah.
0: You know. But people, that's the first thing people say is, hey, I saw your son died, Erica. Call me if you need anything. Well, you're the person I'm going to call. I don't even know you, you know, that not to do that. And then one of the other things was never compare and say, I know how you feel. My so-and-so died. Is it it because we, uh, why do we do that? Why do we tell someone that we know how they feel? Because we don't. Because we don't know what to say. Because we don't talk about grief enough. So, so what do you say if it weren't even a client, but if it were someone, your friend lost somebody close to you, what's the first thing you say? I am so sorry for how broken your heart is right now. Oh, that is so dear.
1: <laughs> or you can say there are no words. Oh, my friend, there are no words. And if I were near you, I'd give you the biggest hug right now. Because there are no words. Tell me what words would you say to make that pain go away? Yep. Nothing. There's I mean, there's just nothing, nothing, nothing. anyone can say.
0: And it's so subjective. You know, the way you grieved for Donovan was different than the way you grieved for Austin. Totally. The, you grieved for your dad. Like you said, you even both grieve for your daddy separately, mm, differently.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: How, I mean, how do marriages stay together when it is a child? Because he, as a a spouse you want to blame your husband for anything yeah and i'm not trying to be funny i'm saying it is our nature that if the roof leaks it's
2: his fault and then if something else happens it's his fault even though it is not his fault (laughs) i know that is one of the things that sharon and i talk about all the time because and i think so lewis and i were separated when austin died and it was his his passing that got us back together but that's the i know we have quite a story um, I'm telling but you. that's one of the things I thought was when I got the news, because I was supposed to go on the trip and I backed out because we were secretly dating and I backed out at the last oh. minute. And I feel like that was me being spared that agony from having to be there from the time when they couldn't find him and then had to get <sighs> the divers. Like that would have, I don't, I don't even know Lisa who I would be mm. if I was there on the scene. So, my first thought prior to losing him before when i would imagine like even if my son falls down and gets a scratch i know it's because he's not lewis is not watching him you know right. so you have that See, that's I mean, just it's how, how you feel right. but right. when i got the phone call i was completely devastated for lewis and for every single it was a big family trip they were on oh. that we had been taken since the, the boys were toddlers And my heart just went out to every single one of them because Austin was with the people who loved him most in the world. There is no one that would not have traded places with that Mm. child. There is not one person that was to blame. It was a complete Mm. and utter accident. And me just having that compassion for everybody who was there, I think was just the game changer because that's where the couples make the mistake. You wanna go, like you said, you blame each other for everything. But it's me having that compassion and saying, oh my God, this happened on his watch. He's never going to forgive himself. What are we going to do? Like, How can I support him was the stance that I took. Because if that were me, I would hope that he would offer me that grace. Because he's broken. I mean, he's devastated. He's there. So that's the way I approached it. And I think that's been our saving grace. And the other thing is to know and honor you're not gonna grieve the same. It's not possible. I cannot expect that man to grieve the way that I am. I'm the mom. I kiss the boo-boos. I tuck him in. He's the Superman. He fights the monsters in the closet. We yeah. grieve differently.
1: Yeah.
0: Is there resentment sometimes though in the way that the other's grieving, it's not to your expectations,
2: yeah. you I all, would think? initially prior to finding this There were, because I say, you never cry. You never cry. And he said, just because you don't see me cry, doesn't mean I'm not crying. So when I understood that, Ah. he didn't want to cry in front of me. He would do all of his Mm. crying separate. Being Superman. Being Superman.
0: Okay, what, what is the name of your program and what was the, did you go through like a grief recovery that, that you did Did spring, that was a springboard for this?
1: So we went to a, um, uh, the grief recovery method and we trained there, but after Donovan died and we realized the way Erica uh, approached it the second time and the actual, the resisting, the uh, pushing back, the anger and all of that, we together, Erica and I created our own program that works amazingly well and we call it the grief school and it's the place where you go to Mm -hmm. grieve and our podcast is healing starts with the heart and we talk with grievers all the time and we talk grief and we're going to leave this earth in a better place than we found it yeah by giving everyone Mm. the permission to talk about grief
0: you know one thing we see just as we age we know We know our parents are going to die. You know, there's, as we all say, we never want to outlive our children, but, um, I just see so much addiction, mental illness, so many Mm -hmm. things that then there's a level of pain and I know it's not greater, but again, it's, it's the stupid choices. You think, why didn't they do so? And so, and what could I have done? Right. But how do you talk people off the ledge Sharon, to remind them they couldn't have changed anything. Couldn't, you couldn't you couldn't prevent anything that happened.
1: You couldn't prevent anything that happened. You couldn't have changed anything, but you also need to examine that. Where is that coming from? Why is that there? What is it that you're really trying to say? What part of the completion journey do you really need to have that discussion there? And why is mm-hmm. that just hanging so heavy over you? So we we literally take the relationship out. And we look at every aspect of it. We turn it around and we shake it upside down. And there's all of the things, right, grieving, that we wish were better, that we wish were different, that we wish were more. We wanted more. We wanted things to be different. I wish I could have done that. And those are all the things that have to be uh, discussed and handled in a completion. What were the
0: stages of grief that we learned about years ago? The, uh, the five stages of grief. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> tell me what those are and tell me if they're accurate. Uh, they are uh, <laughs>
2: depression, anger, bargaining,
0: and denial, denial,
2: is denial and then finally yeah. getting to acceptance. So that was yeah. one of the things that grabbed me at the beginning when, when I was a uh, client of the grief recovery method the first thing the facilitator said was the five stages of grief do not apply to grievers. And I said, thank Ah. God, because I thought I was not doing this right. And everyone kind of chuckled, but I was so honest. I felt like, oh my God, I'm not grieving right, because I don't fit into these five stages. So that means I'm never going to get over this grief. Because that was all we had, Sharon and I, between the two of us, we knew about the five stages. So she would call me every day after Austin died and say, what stage are you in today? and i said oh, oh um i think i'm in denial and then that's when she thought i was gonna, she was going to have to get the straitjacket and drive me to the hospital because she said you know he died right and i was like of course i know he died but i didn't know how to make those stages work sharon actually did a ted talk on how the five stages of grief don't apply to Show grievers off.
1: yeah <laughs> You did a TED Talk. Oh my and I goodness! The stages of grief because yeah. we got stuck in the stages of grief, and that's all you see over social media. That's all you see when you Google grief. You you see, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross wrote actually thirteen stages, and she wrote them for the dying person. She actually made the stages for her interns because they were coming into the room, and she wanted to have these conversations quick and fast. And she would have the interns step out. What stage were they in? And she made this graph. Well, around 1970, some psychiatrists Mm -hmm. took the stages Mm -hmm. and attached Mm -hmm. them to grief and truly did us a disservice because we get stuck there. Here are the other things grief is not. Grief is not a mental illness. It's not five Mm. stages. It's not a contagious disease that you can catch. It's not a pathological condition. It's not a problem to be solved or a list to check off. It is none of those. It is an emotional experience in your heart. It is the pain that your heart goes through from the loss.
0: And you never stop grieving,
1: right? You or, no, you stop. You do? So, you really do? Yeah. So hear me <laughs> out on this. The grieving <laughs> okay. process, when done correctly, absolutely has a beginning. In 2006, Erica's beginning to Austin started on the day he died. It absolutely has a middle and that's when you've kind of a process and you've allowed it in and you've kind of cried it out. There's this middle portion where you absolutely can't take the pain anymore and you want out of it and you start to search for, and the end is when you complete the relationship. Erica is no longer grieving for Austin or Donovan. Right. And I, I'm sorry to use you as our, our, our test that's case here. It's she's fine. no yeah. longer grieving for them. <laughs> mm. There are times where she'll have sweet, bitter tears There are times where I call her and I'm like, what? What's wrong? Because I can tell in her voice and she'll say, Donovan's friend so-and-so is getting married today and it reminds (sighs) me that I'm not. That still happens and that will forever happen. She will forever miss him. But that knife that was stabbed clear through her soul every time one of her boys died, we remove that knife. That knife is gone. And that's what we call grief. That knife is called grief and we've taken that out.
0: So what is left? Just bittersweet memories? Well, no, like sweet, memories. Memories. Uh, sweet, sweet memories. The sweet memories are okay. left.
2: The bittersweet moments come when when I have there's a milestone hit. Like a lot of my classmates now are becoming grandparents. And I won't have that experience with Donovan or Austin. Um, when our nieces and nephews started graduate high school and Austin, yeah. you know, those moments. Mm-hmm. But yes, I and I it's not that you get over grief, you grow through it which is what we teach you have to grow through the grief and you have to go after that pain you have to find some way manner whether it be a program like what we provide or something out of the community but just sitting and waiting for time to say okay your grieving time is up that's not going to happen
0: you know what some people do and i mean i'm saying i i would be the person who could do it too they run to a bottle. Oh yeah. They run yes. to substances. They they run to eating. They run to sex. They run to shopping. Uh, again, no judgment from it on anybody who has walked that path. But how do you how do you talk to that person and help them see? Because then they're then you're going to be grieving the financial loss that you have. Oh yeah. Or the addiction
2: that you might right. You and know, that's that the thing. Occur. I I definitely walked that fine line too. And one of the things I say is I I did that. I wanted to numb this pain as mm-hmm. fast as I could. And I drank a bottle of wine every single day for I don't even know how many days. And but I started at 6 p.m. So I justified it as, you know, I'm just gonna have mm-hmm. this little wine while I'm cooking mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of doing it all day. So that to me, it was like, I don't have a problem. I'm just doing it in the evening. But I can identify with that because that's what I did. So it's not that we absolutely, there's no judgment, but let me help you find a place where you can allow these feelings in without you having to numb them and try to get you through this. Let's go after this pain. Let's bring you to completion and get it out of your heart. So you don't have to find the ways to numb it. The you holding on to it and not being willing to go after it or to find some sort of healing process is just going to continue to further your issues.
0: Sharon, um, could you see her though, going through that? Did you think Erica's nipping on the old cooking sherry more (laughs) than she's actually putting in the food?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because that was your excuse. (laughs) Yeah. So I, um, we were both doing the same thing. I'll tell you, Mm. it kind of started with Austin and we didn't, um, give it the credit that it should have. But we call it avoiding techniques and we allow, we teach one whole week on it because what are we trying to avoid? We're trying to avoid the pain. Mm. We're trying to avoid the feelings. We don't want to feel the feels. We don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel angry. And so we, we walk in at six o'clock at night, like Erica said, and we're just like, I can't deal with this today. I can't deal with it. And it's much easier to do this go to the TV, watch a show, read a book, than to really sit in it. So one of the first things we do tell people, we're like, look, we can't tell you not to drink, but go process some grief first before you pick up that glass. It's gonna do you so much better and possibly stop you from going to the third or fourth glass. Go sit down and process the grief and really spend time with your loved one. Spend time in your grief and just be in there. Then if you really feel it, go still have the glass of wine. So yes.
0: What are some tangible things that people do when you say, because that seems so new age, hocus pocus, <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but to go, whatever those terms were, those words <laughs> were, because I, I want to
1: turn on Netflix and I want to mask my pain. Yes. yes. You know? Yeah. So it is just what it is. Here's the other thing. Tears may or may not be a sign of your grief. So let's start there. You may not sit in the corner and cry. It could be that you just sit in the corner and just feel heavy. Most times when you see grievers, especially in that beginning stage, they're just staring off into space. They're literally just looking away, just staring off. And you can walk up to a griever and say, what are you thinking about? And they're going to look at you. They're not even going to realize they were doing it. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at you and say, what? Um... That's part of processing. That's allowing the grief. Because what's happening with them is they actually have come up to the file drawer that says Austin, and they open that file drawer, and they're reviewing every aspect of that relationship. They're looking at every aspect with Austin, right? So processing means cry it out if you have to, journal it if you have to. Most importantly, call a friend that you know will listen, that will not try to give you advice, that will not try to cut you off. Erica did something a little different with Donovan, and that is she knew that I would know. She was really struggling. So she lied to me for one year and hid it from me. And every time we called her, she told everybody she was doing laundry. That girl did so much laundry that year. But anyway, she and she'll tell you she didn't process. She got stuck in that anger and refused to process. Mm -hmm. And what happened was one year at the one year mark of Donovan, I saw a post that she put on Facebook. It was five o'clock in the morning and I called her and she was bawling. And I said, I'm on my way. And I bought a ticket and I went there. And I'll just have you all know, there were about 21 loads of laundry there that day. So she wasn't doing the laundry. She wasn't doing the laundry. I knew it. I knew it. But we did (laughs) some much needed grief work together. And she cried. And we sat on the couch. And we drank coffee on her porch. And she cried. And we drank wine. And I swept floors and did laundry. And we (laughs) talked. And she did her much needed grief work. That she'd been holding back and then it was like all of this opened up so it was the breakthrough
0: she had with austin on the last day of her grief recovery yeah yeah
2: well i i realized in that moment because lewis and i had had a conversation and he said he could he could see i was unraveling and he started to tell me you need to call sharon and i got so mad Mm. at him because i felt in in those days of the you know that first year he was the only person who understood how bad I felt because we were the parents. So I only wanted to talk to him, but he had gone back to work at this time. We were almost at the one year mark. And, um, and he said, you need to call Sharon. You need to talk to her. And I got mad. I felt betrayed. And then that led me to have this breakdown. Cause I thought, okay, you're at this crossroads. If you keep on this path that you're on, you're not going to come back from this and you need to make a decision about who you want to be. And like I said, I had to think about Kayla and Jordan and Lewis, and I wrote this this beautiful post to Donovan speaking my truth to him on his Facebook page. And one of the lines I said in there, I said, is, how can I help other people when I can't even help myself? I'm such a fraud. And that's how I felt. I'm like, I'm trying to present like I have this grief stick down pat and I am crumbling here. And when she came that next day, it was like I had spoken my truth. So then I had to see it through and I had to do my work. I had to do what I had to practice what I preach.
0: Now she came in because blood DNA and all that yeah. all of your stuff. She can't come to all of our houses. <laughs> so who, who is it? Someone ter- do we sometimes turn to our spouse too much and expect him or her to carry the burden, you know, or, or is there, do, does somebody listening right now need to reach out to maybe a grief counselor? Oh, absolutely.
2: Absolutely because the grief is different and the husband is doing his own thing just to survive you you when you're at that breaking point you want to find someone else that you can that could be a safe space where you could speak right. your truth cuz that's what it comes down to you have to speak your truth
0: well and as you said earlier it's not just death so i'm thinking of the I've heard many kids say this as they've been raised, and adults too. When my husband and I divorced, I leaned on my children. Right. I told them everything, yeah. and that's too much for them. Yes. Yeah. It, they're not equipped. No, I mean because yeah. they have to grieve the the loss of the marriage mm-hmm. or the death of their daddy or mother or whoever it right. is. Um, one time, when because I, I did have grief uh, define a lot of my life young by losing a mother to. Uh, overdose and having to move in with family members, you know, I'd never met to a state I'd never heard of, you know, Arkansas. Wow. Um, and they adopted me and all this, but so no one really knew what to do with me because they'd never had anybody, you know, at age 12, have a mother overdose and all this. So when, when you do have pain like that, and then like, it was like 20 years later, I knew a friend was going through something. Her son had been given a terminal diagnosis and you yeah. Uh, you like put the brakes on the whoa, whoa, whoa I'm not ready I'm not equipped I can't go through it and I asked I was going for my ADD medicine just because I'm totally transparent here and he's a psychiatrist you know I'm like well I have you here I said I have a question I said um a friend's uh, about to lose child how do I know I said if I ever have depression because I'd had depression earlier and it lasted about a year and I got out of it, but you don't want to ever have depression again either. Cause it's a heavy anvil that yeah. comes on your head. And he broke it down this way. And I want to see if you concur. He said, well, the difference is in grief, you're crying, crying, crying. Someone comes in and tells you a story about your loved one. You'll kind of clear up your eyes and go, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Cry, cry, cry. He said, depression, you don't come up for air. And he said, that's how you'll know. Cause he said, Let's say we gave you an antidepressant, but what comes up must come down. He Mm -hmm. said, and he was really encouraging me just to deal with it. But do you sometimes do
1: sometimes people wonder, is this
0: depression or is this grief?
1: So uh, grief can feel like depression and grief is not linear. It's not a straight line. You're up one day and down one second. Eric and I could be sitting down having a conversation about uh, the Easter baskets that we have to have ready for church. And the next thing I know, she's completely bawling. And it all has to do with Austin finding like to Just a trigger or something. Yes, mm-hmm. so just a trigger mm-hmm. in that moment. So, yes. And we absolutely see grievers that are going through a depressive state, 100%. Right. Grief is depressing in itself. So mm-hmm. we have to call it out for what it is. We also can't tell you whether you need to be on medication. You need to go see your doctor for that. We work with your heart. Your doctor will decide that. We have a lot of clients that do therapy and do their grief work simultaneously. So they'll do both. We have clients that are on medication and doing their grief work. So it's all over the place where, where, where you're at.
0: Just because we live in a spiritual world and I am a, I have faith in Jesus Christ, I'm a believer. But there are some people who walk this, you know, because I've said anytime I've lost somebody, man, if it wasn't for the Lord, I couldn't have done it. But yeah. there are a lot of people who walk that path that don't have a spiritual or any type of faith relationship. How do you encourage them? Do you want them to go back to their roots or do some people do fine as an agnostic going through grief?
1: So... Our program is not a religious program. Eric and I are both members of our church, full-time, full-fledged members. And I, we actually launched the program in church. So, but here's the deal. We don't talk God in our program. We give you the space to be wherever you are. So hear me out on this. You lost You've lost your child. Where are you going to go first? Because you said, who are they going to call? You asked this question earlier. Most people are going to go to church. I, might, I lost my child. That's where we go. That's yeah. our community. That's our people. But hear me out on this. So you're you're there, you've lost a child, and the advice you're given is, God will never give you more than you can handle. You need to lean on Jesus. And those are all true. Although those are true, that's not getting into my heart. That's not what I need right now. As a griever, I need to tell you, I'm so sad and I'm so broken. That's number one. Sometimes that can happen. The other thing that can happen is that the griever can actually be mad at God. God, I'm I sure. already gave one child. We got to have a talk because now I had to give two, you know, so the, gr- the griever can start questioning their walk with God. We know for a fact that if a person is really walking their faith and walking the walk and talking the talk, even though they may get shaken during their grief, if it's always been there, it will come back. It will come back. Some people are mad at God and they need to take that extra mile and do the work on God, with God. It and that's okay. It has to be, the bottom line, it has to be dealt with. Right. It has to be dealt with. And what if you don't have a relationship with God? You're still going to be a griever. You're still going to have a broken heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Because even Christians have broken hearts. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You two are the Thelma and Louise of grief or the <laughs> Lucy and Ethel. I like Lucy and Ethel better. <laughs>
1: Or I'm going to be Lucy. Or are you going to be Ethel?
2: <laughs>
1: well, she's kind of got the real hair. I know, I think the hair already
2: is predetermining that I'm Lucy. Right. <laughs> that's good,
1: because I can't eat chocolate-covered cherries.
2: You're yeah, right, right, right. Well, she couldn't either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and she grieved that one. Yeah, she yes. Just, she lost her job. Which is another thing. Yep. I mean, we don't have time, yep. but job loss is something yes, that people grieve. that's a bad and During one. the pandemic, people were yes, losing jobs. Yep. Losing jobs left and right. We did a pandemic series
2: on the podcast because every week it was something different that we, the people we were, we know were affected with. Right.
0: You two are fabulous. All the information about what you have will be in the show notes. And I am blessed just getting to sit here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher said podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.